a West Coast swoon. The Phillies head to Arizona and San Diego and drop four of six. Sports Radio WIP's Jack Fritz breaks it all down with us and takes a look at the two new offensive additions. Plus, we'll wrap up last week's 10th anniversary of the Phillies World Series Championship. We'll hear what Jimmy Rollins has to say about that club and Roy Halladay. Welcome to this episode 50 of the Phillies Nation podcast. My name is Frank Close of SportstalkPhilly.com and 973ESPN.com. And I'm happy to be your host here today for this show. Lots to talk about, lots of disappointment this weekend. The Phillies head to the West Coast, feeling good, looking ahead to the future, and they lose four of six games. Phillies come up small against the Arizona Diamondbacks in a couple of cases, one of them being a Jake Arrieta gem that went to waste with a with a blown save. And then we saw Arietta struggle today after such a gem, and it's kind of hard to fault him for having the one bad outing. But lots of things went wrong today. Poor defense, lack of hitting, and as been the case on the road, a lot of the Phillies' offense just goes silent. Phillies will be happy to head back home. They're coming back home, though, after an off-day Monday. They're here against the Boston Red Sox for two games. Uh, those are not going to be easy games. The Red Sox themselves have pretty perhaps the p- most potent offense in, the, in all of baseball right now, or you could argue that baseball's had in a few years. But after they do those two games against the Red Sox, they get the New York Mets, so maybe that won't be so bad. But but it's really easy to 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 look at the New York Mets rotation and say they can shut down a Phillies offense that is not performing. Jacob DeGrom can shut down the Phillies, right? Uh, you know, look at Zach Wheeler, who the Phillies were rumored to be interested in. Zach Wheeler has been pitching very, very, very well after a slow start this year. Now, this was a guy that didn't pitch for a couple years, right? So Wheeler's still trying to come back. He's finally hitting his stride. And you don't want to match up against either of those guys, right? So uh, there's still a lot of talent in, in the Mets rotation if you encounter some of their other guys, too. So the Phillies don't necessarily have an easy road ahead. The Atlanta Braves, meanwhile, as they fight for first place and as they're tied for first place, although Atlanta Braves have a an advantage in the loss column right now. Uh, but as they uh, as they are playing the Boston Red Sox for two, the Braves are going to have four against the Miami Marlins. And, of course, that's a Miami Marlins team without Jason Bohr. Jason Bohr. Without Justin Bohr. So the most... Impressive offensive weapon the Marlins had against the Braves can no longer help defeat the Braves. So, so yeah, the Phillies got him on their side, but they also subtract him from the Marlins, and he did a lot of damage against the Atlanta Braves. So first today we're going to talk to Sports Radio WIP's Jack Fritz. And so, Jack, this West Coast Phillies trip, what are your immediate thoughts? My immediate thought is that, like, you know, for the whole season, it's felt like a tug and pull between the people who are like, I'm really excited the Phillies are back and they're in first place and all this stuff, and the people who are like, well, 
they're a bad defensive team. They're not hitting that well. The pitching staff is far exceeding its expectations. And I thought, I thought this West Coast trip was kind of like a uh, an example of why people haven't fully bought into the Phillies team yet. And of course, with people like me and you and your listeners and and whatever that are like love the Phillies will always believe in the Phillies. But there is a reality in the fact that there are casual fans that are checking in from now and again and. And when they see a team go out west as a first-place team and, and then play bad defensive baseball, bad fundamental baseball, and can't hit, it's hard to get really excited. And I thought it was a, a, an example of why I think a lot of Philadelphia has been mostly negative towards the first-place team, which shocks me. But unfortunately, that's the reality of the situation. So if you take away, all right, let's just look at some of the numbers from this Padres series because this is the one that's probably more concerning than the Diamondbacks series, which they, let's face it, they almost won two out of three against the Diamondbacks. But the Padres, they score a total of 12 runs the entire series. Freddie Galvis drove in how many? Too many. Today with the Grand Slam, Freddie Galvis has driven in nine runs against the Phillies in six games when you consider both series home and away. Freddie Galvis batted 455 against the Phillies. 10 for 22. 10 for 22. Freddie Galvis made all the difference in this series. No, like Freddie Galvis has to be batting, like, I think he's batting 600 against the Phillies. And usually that's like, Sarcastic, but I'm I'm 90% sure he's at least batting above 500 against the Phillies. It, it feels like he is only killing the Phillies, and I don't know why. I, like the Philadelphia was good to you, Freddie. Like, I'm sorry they got rid of you in a, in a contract year because they want to give young guys a chance. But you don't have to kill us every time we play you, man. <laughs> so let's talk about the pitching for a second, though, because they got a really good performance out of of Zach Eflin in this series. Good start from 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 Zach Eflin, and but then but then we see it turns to. Uh, Jake Arrieta having not so great a start. Uh, did you catch anything in Jake Arrieta's start that's that's concerning for the long haul? Well, what he had done the last couple of starts that I thought got him back to being a a pretty good pitcher was he was he established a good cutter slash slider uh, depending on the day. And today he just didn't have a good feel for it. And it, it, today it felt like one step forward, two steps back. Like his last couple of starts were really good. Uh, it felt like he was finally starting to, to find the command. Uh, I know if you saw that Ben Harris piece from earlier in the week, he had made some uh, nice mechanical adjustments. Rather than coming fully crossfire, he had kind of been stepping more towards the plate, and it seemed like that was helping his consistency and getting to a rhythm. And really, um, before this start, it was the most comfortable I'd ever seen Jake Arrieta in an affiliate uniform. Uh, the Arizona start was brilliant. So like, I'm, not, I'm not fully out on Arrieta. Obviously, today sucked, but there was – some defensive miscues and stuff that led to uh, a lot of his problems. Again, not the best Arietta start, and again, he looked like he was laboring rather than free-flowing like he had been in his last couple starts. But yeah, um, definitely not the, the best showing. And you, you're going to need uh, a good Jake Arietta if you want to make a run at this pennant. But was the story less Arietta not having a good start and more the offense? Uh, so when you made your comment on Twitter and you and you said just now that this is why that people haven't bought into the first place team. Is it really their offense that is the problem that people are seeing come up lame on days like today? Yeah, I think it's mostly offensive related, and I and I know it sounds bad, but you know what, what made those teams from '07 to '11 so great was that 
you know, they would they would sometimes score ten runs on you in an instant, and you'd have Howard, Utley, and it was fun to tune them in every night because you never think they were out of a ball game. And with this team, they're so predicated predicated on going for the big inning. The first six innings are just boring. Like, you know, they're working the pitcher, which is great. Like, how, their offensive approach is really smart. It's a smart modern day offensive approach. You know, work the count, walks, all that stuff. Playing for the big inning, it's just that they haven't been able to find the guy that can drive in runs uh, when they need it on a consistent basis. And when those guys go cold, it just makes everything else look as bad. Like, Hoskins is one for his last 27, I think. Uh, a doable feels like he's popping everything up. Uh, Carlos Santana is, is obviously Carlos Santana. It just feels like the guys that they're counting on to, to drive in runs just haven't been there. And it's just been inconsistent offense. It's been mostly frustrating offense. It's been a lot of strikeouts, which I understand is, is modern baseball. But I think for uh, a lot of fans, why they don't believe in this team is 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 that they're they're not get they're not driving in runs. They're not consistently putting together at bats, and ultimately they go through these swoons where they can't score runs for for games on end. Yeah. So in 31 August at bats, Odubel Herrera is batting 161. So that's a, a far cry from his April, where he batted 367, and seemed to have everybody convinced that he was the real deal. Now the Phillies picked up two pieces that hopefully can can boost that offense. So let's talk about them one by one. Uh, first being Justin Bohr. So they kind of make an unconventional move. Yeah. You know, when they put the waiver claim in on Justin Bohr. Uh, it's kind of hard to say if the Phillies were thinking when they did so that they would actually end up with him, or perhaps he was. they were thinking that Bohr would go to a contender and they wanted to stop that, so they put a, a waiver claim in. But nonetheless, Justin Bohr is a Philly. He finally got a, an at-bat today. Uh, he's He had that pinch hit in the ninth inning. Uh, one hit, one at-bat. Uh, what do you think Justin Bohr can do for this team? Because let's face it, the Phillies didn't start him on... Uh, Friday when they had, excuse me, Saturday when they had a right-handed pitcher on the mound and it might have been a good day to throw him out there and kind of inject some life into the offense. Uh, so he gets one at bat. Where do you see him playing going forward? Well, it seems like they're really committed to, to playing Santana. Um, and, I mean, just the fact that they didn't get him one start this weekend was a little surprising. Uh, especially like Saturday, like you mentioned, I thought it would have been a, a good time to get him in there because for some reason, like, Santana's re- like he's been inconsistent the whole year, but he's been particularly bad on the road. Like his home splits are usually pretty good; they're generally like normal. Um, but on the road, he's just been terrible. And I thought Bohr would have been a nice spot to give Santana a bit of a rest. I, I agreed with you when, when I saw you put that out there. Uh, but it's, it really seems like they're committed to have Justin Bohr be a like a pinch hitter in his Nat Stairs role. And like I just couldn't disagree more. Like I don't, I don't understand. W- why you'd go get an actually good player with two years left of control uh, for almost nothing and just use him in a bench role. And I think this is, they've been so weird with how they, they, they put stuff out in the media. Like I remember after they got a Shrubel, they were like, oh, this won't, this won't affect Kingery's playing time at all. Like he'll still play when, there's, when, when our ground ball guys are on the mound, like Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta, and then boom, and back-to-back start, there's Shrubel's playing at shortstop. Uh, for for both games and both series, so that just seems like a, a complete lie. Uh, although I guess King, you know, King is on the bench today. Yeah, so um, I wonder how that's going to really affect it because I would personally, I would play Bohr and hopefully it lights a spark under Carlos Santana and gets him going a little bit, and then let those guys battle it out for the last month month of the year. Like I think that's a smart plan. 
uh, I think that that would get the both the best out of both of those players because I think I think Justin Gore can legitimately help you. I think just making him a Matt Stairs like role I think is a mistake. Yeah, so breaking down those numbers that you just mentioned, Carlos Santana batting 257 at home with an 873 OPS. But on the road he's batting 178 with an OPS of 635. 11 of his 17 home runs have come at home. So so Santana really not providing that offensive punch on the road. Uh, do you think he's going to get a start uh, against the uh, Boston Red Sox? I mean, the Phillies are going to face one right-handed pitcher. Do you think he might get a start there? I would be really surprised if he didn't. Um, I know the I know defensively Santana is probably better, um, but I would be I I just think it'd be a good spot to get Bohr a start. Like I just think it's perfectly fine to give Carlos a, a, a sit on the bench for a game. You have a doubleheader on Thursday. I would assume that Bohr would get a start then. So I, either way, like if he doesn't play in the Red Sox series, I would think of the doubleheader that um, Bohr would play one of those games. Yeah, so Rick Porcello, uh, the former Cy Young winner, uh, pitches game one, and game two is Nate Eovaldi, uh, who the Phillies know pretty well from his time with Miami. Now, a, a couple things we saw today that were were particularly uh, frustrating to, to Phillies fans I saw on Twitter uh, was the play of Jorge Alfaro, one being a defensive sort of miscue where he didn't communicate well with, with Jake Arrieta on a bunt, and, and people were stealing left and right on him, but... Uh, the Phillies are going to welcome Wilson Ramos perhaps sooner or later. So what do you think that Ramos is going to bring to this team, and where do you see him batting in this batting order? I, I truly can't wait for Wilson Ramos, and I'm, I'm surprised that he's already starting his rehab assignment. I thought it would have been at least like one more week, but the fact that he's already doing it, it feels like he's going to be back sooner rather than later. Like I saw some things about him being back early September, and that, you know, that kind of stinks because I think he'd be a, a really nice, piece to to this offense. I mean, he's batting 297 with 14 home runs in the year. Um, when, when you when you put his numbers next to Alfaro's, it's like night and day. So just imagining the Phillies lineup without Alfaro, and I, I'm very high on Alfaro going forward. I think he's going to be a good player, and I think some of the adjustments May has made with him, uh, I think, are going to come into fruition next year. Like they, They've been making these weird swing uh, mechanical adjustments in the middle of the season. I generally just think that's hard for a young player to pick up on, especially when he's done uh, the same thing for most of his career. I think it's hard to change that in half a season. So I'm hoping that next season, with the whole off season of implementing the Maylee strategy, that he comes back next year uh, having a really good year. But Ramos, I just think it makes this lineup. Uh, I know, it, <laughs> I know, we complained about the lineup being horrible, but it makes this lineup theoretically uh, much tougher. 297, 14 hunts. If you can bat him like six, and then it just keeps moving guys down, like talented guys. You move Franco down, who's good. Uh, you know, he fluctuates between Williams, Estrubel, Herrera. You know, I just think the lineup one through eight becomes really, really solid with the addition of Wilson Ramos. And defensively, he's not a, a major upgrade over Jorge Alfaro, but he is a, a professional catcher that I think can help um, teach Jorge the, the ways of the craft. And very interestingly, most young catchers, when they come up, they tend to have a veteran backstop kind of mentor them along the way. Phillies never really had that with Andrew Knapp and Jorge Alfaro kind of coming up at the same time. So hopefully uh, Ramos can be a good influence on both these guys because, you know, Andrew Knapp's probably got to go to AAA just because of the roster situation. 
Uh, but he's going to be back September 1st for sure. And I think Ramos's mentorship is going to have a good effect on both those players. And, and I absolutely do agree with you uh, that he is going to, to, to help them in that regard. Now, if you look at this lineup, to the, as it stands today, as we're recording this Sunday evening, so Hoskins, 857 OPS, Nick Williams, 795, Estribal Cabrera, 804, and you add another 800 OPS guy in Wilson Ramos, you got to think that lineup's going to work, right? Yeah, for sure. And hopefully by the time that Wilson Ramos is back, Hoskins is out of his little slump here. Um, and I think what what's made this season so interesting, I think we've learned a lot about some of the players that have been around here for a, while, like a little bit. Hoskins, I think we're learning that while he's a great hitter, he is also a very streaky hitter. People go through these periods where he is hitting a home run once every seven at bat, and then he'll go through periods like now where it's one for his last 27. And the same thing with Adubo Herrera. You mentioned his April where he was basically impossible to get out, and then his May was was horrible. Um, last month was fine, this month horrible. And hopefully by the time that Ramos gets here, uh, Hoskins is back on a bit of a hot streak. Hopefully Herrera figures some things out, and the the rest of the month of August and all September you have a, a full lineup. And, and here's a question for you, because Reese Hoskins, he, he was kind of slumping, and he had the little minor injury, takes a, a quick uh, quick breather, and when he came back he was stronger than ever. Could it be that Hoskins just needs a rest? It could be. I mean, I mean seriously, when he had that, <laughs> that jaw injury, he came back and was – Back to being Reese again after going after his, after his basically taking ten days off and just getting away from baseball. I don't know if you can do that in the heart of a pennant run unless he has a legit injury. But maybe that's another thing we're learning about our young players. Real fast about the bullpen. So the Phillies used all three left-handed pitchers from their bullpen this afternoon. Uh, Austin Davis has been roughed up the last couple times. Uh, now has an ERA of four thirty. Adam Morgan earned run ERA of 4.54, and even Aaron Loop, who they just brought in, uh, he, he doesn't give up his own run, but he had one inherited runner score today. Uh, do you think that left-handed uh, tandem in the bullpen is going to be good enough for this Phillies team? Well, what I'm interested in is that I wonder if they will fast track Kyle Zoe to the big leagues, um, the, the the lefty down in Double A that has some of the best uh, splits in the entire minor leagues. Uh, I wonder if the roster expands to 40 and Austin Davis continues continue to scuffle, Adam Morgan continues to be Adam Morgan, um, and Aaron Loop. I think he's going to be fine because he's a veteran, but if they continue to scuffle, they show with Sir Anthony that they, ha- they would have no problem getting a guy who's barely been above, above AA up to the big leagues. And I wonder if they would do the same thing with a guy like Kyle Zoe, who is absolutely crushing it in the minor leagues, fast-track him up here, and maybe he's your lefty relief uh, once September hits, and he's your lefty. And I, I, I'd be curious to see if they if they go that route. If these guys continue to scuffle because who if if you need if you need one out against a lefty right now, I mean who are you who are you bringing to the game? Are you are you still trusting Austin Davis? Yeah, it's a, that's a really good point because I, I think the Phillies really got into trusting Austin Davis. He seemed to be placed ahead of Adam Morgan in the bullpen. Uh, they they acquired Loop, but yet they step they kept going. I mean, we saw that today. They went to Adam Morgan and Austin Davis first before they even got to Loop. So it's kind of interesting yep. as to where Loop actually fits in and whether or not this team has any confidence in him. Wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, and I think Austin Davis, I think he's pretty good because he comes in and throws strikes. Uh, he's not going to come in and walk guys and walk a bunch of guys, whereas I don't feel the same way about Adam Morgan, but also Adam Morgan has the wipeout slider and probably the best stuff. And like you said with Loop, like, like it's his first appearance to hit a guy, and then it's been just pretty consistently bad since then. So it's, it's not a great situation, that's for sure. And before we before we get going tonight, now Sir Anthony Dominguez. Okay, so he has b- been scuffling a little bit as well. So he blew two saves in a row. Uh, he hasn't been his old self, and some some people believe that's because his velocity has dipped a little bit. Uh, he's here's here's another guy. Do you think he needs a rest? Do you think that it, it's a, you know the, the the velocity dipping a couple miles an hour is is making all the difference for somebody like him? What would you do with if you're the Phillies now? Because let's face it, they, the, their success really has been on his back. Yeah, I mean, there's no one else they've really been able to trust in the back end of ball games. I mean, I think I think Tommy Hunter's kind of getting there now, which you would you would not believe was possible after the first half of the year. Um, and I think I mean Nishak's always Nishak. It's just you can't trust him in back back days because he literally refuse, refuses to do it. Um, but yeah, with Sir Anthony. It's it's weird. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him like a ten day phantom DL uh, and, and bring up like Edibri Ramos, who had like the second lowest ERA on the team before, they, before he got hurt, and they kept him in AAA. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that, uh, just because, like you said, his, his fastball velocity is down to I think averaging ninety seven miles an hour. His his slider has lost a lot of its movement, um, both horizontally and vertically, which is a, a bad trend. And I know he says, like he says to the media, I'm fine, I'm not tired, but that's just not the reality when it becomes the pitching because even though your body may feel good, your body may not be as strong as it, as it possibly could. And I, I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world to give him a phantom 10-day elbow tightness DL spin and just let him get away from the game for a little bit, not throw for a couple of days, and help this team come late August, early September. So if they do such a thing, there's also a guy at AAA. He throws in the high 90s. Right now he's 2-0 and with a 1-4-5 ERA. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Hector Neris. Uh, huh. you, you ready to give him another shot? Hey, man. I mean, if Tommy Hunter can do it, why can't Hector? Um, and it's weird. I think I saw some some quote or some tweet or report that the Phillies thought that he was tipping pitches when he was pitching. And when you're a two-pitch pitcher and you're tipping pitches, that's probably a bad idea. Um, but it, it seems like he's figured out some things down there. And, yeah, I mean, Hector Neris two years ago was one of the best relievers in the sport, so if you can get him going again, yeah, I, I wouldn't hate it. I would bring up Edderbry first. I would bring him back up. But in a pinch, if, if guys are, are not performing, sure, I, I would bring back Hector, no problem. How quickly people forget that Hector saved 20 games to close out 2017 all in a row and, and had no problem. So, Jack, thanks so much for spending this time with us. Really good talking Phillies baseball with you. Ah, thanks. I really appreciate it, Frank. Jack Fritz of Sports Radio WIP. Always good to talk baseball with Jack. Jack really knows his stuff. And, I, and by the way, I should have given you the plug. In addition to uh, being a producer on WIP, he does produce the evening show uh, with Joe Giglio. He also hosts the High Hopes podcast, which he does with James Seltzer, who we hope to have on at some point, and, and John Marks has greatly contributed to that podcast too, although now that John is a big shot working the afternoons, I don't know if he could do that anymore. No, but I really, 
I, I'm just joking, but I really, I really encourage you to check that out. All three of them are good guys, and we know they're Phillies. So last week we checked in on the 2008 Phillies. We talked to Brett Myers, and many of the Phillies were in town. Lots of good stuff going on. And a couple of the guys over at philliesnation.com got to catch up with Jimmy Rollins and ask him a few questions. The first question came from Kevin McCormick of philliesnation.com. Ten, ten years later, how's it feel? Coming back, especially oh, alumni weekend. What, what, what are your feelings this weekend? I haven't even really thought about it all, truth be told. It's, it's, been, it's been two years. Jeez, that's fast. Um, <laughs> that's fast. That's what I feel. That's what I'm thinking. That's fast. Um, but um, last night, got to see a bunch of the guys and, you know, have some good conversations, some reminiscing and talking about stories and some things you don't know is going on behind the scenes because, you know, when you're in a game and a pitcher's doing certain things, they're telling what they're going through. So it's fun just to uh, hear it all together and obviously culminating with Shane, uh, retirement, uh, Doc and um, Pat going into the Wall of Fame. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot going on. I've, I've usually been in a dugout looking at the guys, yeah. and now it's the other way around. It's like, but I'm barely older than them. You didn't look at the group and everybody's 22, 23. It's like, oh, all right. I guess it has been that long. And of course, while Shane Victorino was the one who retired, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, don't play baseball anymore, yet to retire still. Uh, be interesting to hear if, if anybody asked them this weekend, when are you going to retire? But but yeah, Jimmy Rollins there having a lot of fun. And yeah, he's not that much older than us. In fact, for me personally, he's just a few years older than I am. So uh, I always... Figured that when he's ready to retire, then maybe I should be ready to retire, right? No, not even, not not a chance. But uh, but yeah, Jimmy Rollins uh, hasn't even hit the big 4-0 just yet. But but that's old in baseball years, and and Rollins had a tremendous career, much much longer than um, than most people have the opportunity to do in Major League Baseball today, especially in the post steroid era where bodies cannot recover as quickly. Now, our Tim Kelly caught up with Jimmy Rollins asking about the late, great Roy Halladay. Jimmy, can we just ask you then your lasting memory of Roy Halladay who's going on the <laughs> wall of fame tonight? Roy was a, was, was, a, was a good man. Obviously, his baseball speaks for itself. You can read and Google that. You know, but being able to spend time with him on like Nike trips, seeing a different side. You know, the guy that when he got to the ballpark was dedicated, serious about what he needed to do. And then to see him actually loosen up and smile and have fun, like, wow, he really does enjoy life. So I got to know, you know, obviously both sides of Roy, playing with him and, you know, just going on different Nike trips and getting to know the guy. Big heart, always open, wanted to share things with you, wanted you to, you know, be a big kid like he was. Because when the game started, he was all man. Right. You know, but off the field, getting away from the ballpark, he was a big kid, a lot of toys. I want to share all of that with you. So you said last year on TBS that Bobby Bray was your favorite teammate ever. Yeah. Who, who's your favorite 08 teammate? My favorite? Yeah. Got, got 08 pick one. teammate. I, I, you're not going to put me in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I loved everybody. Okay. Okay. But, um, and then the last question: Do you do you ever get tired of people saying thanks for 08, thanks for 07 to 11? Are you crazy? <laughs> no. Short answer is no. No, it's it's great. Um, you know, it had been a while since 
a generation since you know the World Series uh, had been won here. So being in this organization, all you ever heard was about the 1980 World Series team, and you go to the to the vet, and, and it was fitting. You know that's where they played. That was their home. Then we built Citizens Bank Park. And you're still showing those old clips, and they were just like, I am so tired of seeing 1980, hearing about 1980. So now, it's up to the new team to take that same mentality and get tired of hearing about the 2008 team and put up their own banner. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. And how will we get tired of hearing about 2008? I think that's going to be a long time before we can ever be tired of that, because even if the Phillies go on and they win some more here in Philadelphia, it's always going to be perhaps the first time in this new ballpark and the first memory of the Phillies winning at Citizens Bank Park, and that's bound to go a really long way. Pretty interesting that Jimmy mentioned that Roy Halladay was, was, went from a, a big kid to, a, to all man uh, when he transitioned from off the field to on the mound. And let me tell you, watching Roy Halladay pitch, I don't remember ever seeing a pitcher that just scared you like Roy Halladay did. You know, he just inspired, instilled that fear into every single buddy, every single batter he faced. And I think even sitting in the stands and the press box watching him, that fear was 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 among us too. And then Roy retires. We see the big kid Roy Halladay. We see the guy that that loved flying his plane and smiling and taking selfies, and even going to the zoo. The Roy Halladay who took the selfie with the the kid in his in his jersey who walked right by him and didn't even recognize who he was. Yeah, we we realized that Roy Halladay was a one big teddy bear and a really great guy too. And it's, it's very lucky that I think the Phillies fans got to see that about about him. You know, when he retired and joined Twitter, that's when we really got to see that for the first time. And now we're joined by Tim Kelly live to talk a little bit about last weekend. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Frank. How are you? Doing fantastic. And watching that 2008 reunion, watching Alumni Weekend, watching the Roy Halladay Wall of Fame induction, what are your overall thoughts about how last weekend went for Philadelphia and the Phillies? I think there's been a lot of pretty incredible moments at Citizens Bank Park in the 15 years it's been here. Certainly a lot of postseason memories, a lot with Roy Holiday as a player, a lot with Ryan Howard in 2006. So there have been a lot of great moments. I think when we look back, whenever Citizens Bank Park comes to a conclusion, which probably won't even be uh, in our lifetime, so whenever that day comes, I think we're going to look back at the Roy Holiday Wall of Fame induction as one of the more touching moments. Brandy Holiday gave an incredible speech. She's incredibly strong. And then Carlos Ruiz doing the kiss that it was just special i i feel like um they probably could have had pat gillick have his own night but it was cool because of the connection between the two so it was just a special weekend and then obviously uh jason worth got cheered on sunday so it all was good it was a cool weekend so let's talk about one thing at a time because there's there's so much to talk about and and the first you have the shane victorino retirement i i just have a, i just have one question about it did did Shane Victorino kind of uh, Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard from doing their own? I don't think so. I, I think if Jimmy Rollins or Ryan Howard want to do that or if they decide to do that in the future, they can. I'm not sure if they necessarily want to do that, feel the need to do that. 
Shane Victorino did it. I was there. It was a cool night. Ryan Howard was there uh, catching his first pitch, and Ryan Howard actually probably got the lo- loudest cheer of the night. So I don't think he prevented them from doing it. It was a cool moment for Shane Victorino. Yeah, just kind of funny because uh, Rollins and Howard, of course, have not officially retired, uh, refused to say that R word. So it's kind of funny that they're there celebrating, and yet they've yet to retire themselves but but yeah certainly you saw how beloved ryan howard is you saw how beloved shane victorino is uh not not every day you get that big a celebration for for a retiree huh no certainly not and i I think it's special in a lot of ways because with the exception i mean chase ellie's been back now a bunch of times and cole hamill's last game was a no-hitter they did have the final moment with ryan howard where they were able to say their goodbyes but in a lot of cases uh, a lot of the Phillies from those teams were traded. I don't want to say unceremoniously, but they didn't get necessarily a chance to say goodbye to the fans. So that's what made that weekend special in a lot of senses. And certainly the alumni that come back. Uh, it's, I'm always surprised to see some of the people that, that come back as, as alumni. Now, Andy Ashby kind of had an unceremonious exit <laughs> when he came back to the Phillies. He had and, an unceremonious career in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. So, so even he shows up. Uh, it's the first time we saw Pete McGlynn's face since he moved into that front office role. For the most part, he's kind of stayed out of the way. I think he uh, just kind of like like Charlie Manuel did when he stayed on. He didn't want to get get interfere with the next manager. But um, but yeah, definitely a nice return of, of former Phillies. And it seems like Phillies of all ages like to come back. What do you what do you think? What is it about Philadelphia that these players who may have only been here for a short while and perhaps you know, like the Andy Ashby's of the world, never really achieved their best years in Philly. Why is it going to come back? I think in, in the case of somebody like Andy Ashby, who had a good career, but it certainly wasn't a good career in his brief time in Philadelphia, it's just you get invited, you had some memories in the city, and it makes you, I don't want to say feel important, but it kind of is that theory. In a lot of the other cases, we're talking about people that had even if it was only a brief period and even if there wasn't a ton of success, there was some level of success they could come back to the alumni weekend. I thought the Pete McCannon moment was cool because I was interested to see he technically has a role in front of how visible he would be this season. And I think this is the first time we've really seen him since the final game of last season. So that was a cool moment. And then uh, obviously all the different alumni coming back to different degrees of success. So it was a cool weekend. Yeah, of course, Pete McCannon had a cup of coffee as a utility infielder back in 1979, but but even he came out wearing his managerial uniform number, not his number 17 as a utility player. So, so yes, the small, the, the, the large former Phillies always seem to enjoy coming back, and it was really nice to see the Phillies show their appreciation for McCannon. Now, let's take a look at the next day. So we, we, we have the um, Shane Victorino retirement, and you have the... Uh, Wall of Fame night. Uh, you mentioned uh, the the holiday ceremony being one of the the better ones in in recent years. Uh, so y- uh, let's just talk for a little sec, uh, another second about uh, about what went on. So if you had to pick one particular moment that to, to kind of stand out from that night, which is the one moment that you think is the is what everybody's going to remember? I think everyone's going to remember two things. Well, I think they're going to remember Brandy Holiday, but the moment of Chooch kissing or touching his lip and then touching Holiday like a kiss. I think that that was one of the more powerful moments. And really what I, one thing I noticed from that entire weekend was the amount of players that couldn't 
go or that went out of their way to talk how much they loved playing with Chooch. Jamie Moyer did it. Um, I, I believe Jason Worth did it. So lots of different guys talked about how they loved Chooch, and I think he had the most memorable moment probably of that entire weekend. And and very interesting that, that many people said over the course of the weekend that, you know, Halliday, of course, always loved to pass the credit to his catcher and thinking back to that perfect game, that was the first thing he mentioned was, oh, my catcher, Chooch. So, so it kind of kind of really shows the special connection they had. And let's not forget that, um, you know, even when he won his uh, Cy Young Award, he had a, a replica made for Chooch, right? So definitely a special relationship between both of them. Now let's look at, at Sunday when, when the 2018 was, was introduced. So you did mention it briefly. Let's talk about the reception for a few ex-Phillies that might have left on not-so-fun circumstances. Yeah, so, I mean, Jason Worth is the obvious one that comes to mind, and he came out of the dugout, and I think it was one of those things where people are watching. I remember when Donovan McNabb came back to Philly the first time, there was the big national thing about Philly's going to boo him and he doesn't deserve it, and all of a sudden he came out and got huge ovation. It was kind of similar reception for Jason Worth. I think time has healed a lot, and then when you see him come out with the Phillies jersey on, with the Hulk fist that he had at the 2008 parade, I think a lot of people realized how dumb it was uh, the entire feud. It was probably dumb on both sides, but it was dumb considering how important of a Philly Jason Worth was. And, again, it's been seven years, so I I think people were ready to bury the hatchet, and it was a cool time to do it. And also, I did did mention, if you might remember a couple weeks ago, or I guess it was last week, uh, closing out the podcast, please don't boo Greg Dobbs, who set their pinch hit record in 2008 yeah. on the way to winning the World Series. And for some reason, people used to boo him, but he also got a nice reception, huh? Yeah, the, the booing Greg Dobbs is one of it's It's stupid, but the stupidness gets lost in it just being, like, strange. Like, the logic in booing Jason Worth was probably faulty, in my opinion, but there was at least some thought process. The, the logic of booing Greg Dobbs was just kind of non-existent to me. So, again, it was cool to see guys like him and Jeff Jenkins and different bench guys back. It was unfortunate Matt Stairs wasn't able to be there. Had he been there uh, or had they played the Padres a week before, it would have worked out a little bit better. But it is what it is. And uh, a lot of the guys that were unmung or maybe not as appreciated in 2008 were able to get uh, their moment in the sun that weekend. So it was cool. Yeah, even the Eric Brentlets of the world, they got a lot of attention this weekend, right? So <laughs> Brad, yeah. Brad Lidge uh, even mentioned him by name uh, over the weekend. I noticed that, that he was there to, to, to be his defense. Uh, both uh, Remember, they came over from the Astros, both of them. So, so both of them uh, had a nice career together, but nothing better than 2008. So what's Alumni Week going to be like next, next year, right? I mean, how can they one-up this? I don't think they can one-up this. I would imagine they'll do something or to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the 2009 Phillies. So, I mean, a lot of it will be the same guys, but then you also get guys like Cliff Lee there. So that'll be cool. Pedro Martinez might even make an appearance. So that Raul Abanez. Cool. Raul Abanez. So, I mean, there'll be some different faces. And then I, I wonder, Wall of Fame-wise, where they're going to go. I think the obvious... Uh, answer to me at this point is Bobby Abreu. Before you have a rush of 2008 guys go in, I think Bobby Abreu is one of the most deserving candidates. I also think Scott Rowling is a deserve Scott Rowland, excuse me, is a deserving candidate. But that might be a lost fight. So uh, Bobby Abreu is certainly the one that would stick out to me as someone that uh, deserves to be on the Wall of Fame and would be honored next year 
we'll see what happens. There's always uh, a ton of different people. Brad Lynch could be honored, although it'd be kind of ironic to do it on 2009, 10-year anniversary weekend. So who knows what happens? I, I, my guess would be Bobby Abreu. Yeah, you bring up a good point because in some ways the fact that the Phillies didn't have somebody last year might have been problematic because you, you kind of want to get everybody in from the 2008 uh, group, right? I mean, there's, there's you, you could argue that you could put as many as a dozen players on that, that wall of fame, right? Certainly, you know, you're going to have Utley, you're going to have Howard, you're going to have, uh, of course, the likes of, of Chooch, Hamels, uh, Rollins. Rollins. I mean, I, there's yeah. like, I, it's just, it, there's just so many you can keep going down the line. I mean, someone like Victorino, who was not the main piece or, or one of the three big pieces. Oh, no he, pun he's a, he's, he's a no doubt about it guy. Absolutely. I, I think. Uh, but you could also say Jason Worth belongs there, right? So, uh, you know, you could go on and on about that 2018. How are you going to fit them all in? I think you just go one by one because after the 2018, I mean, maybe you put Cliff Lee on eventually. If, if Jason Worth's on, I would fire for Cliff Lee not to be on. Frankly, I would make an argument Cliff Lee was a better Philly than Jim Tomey or maybe Roy Halladay, but that's probably not a popular argument. Um, so you're going to have a gap after the 2008 guys go in, and hopefully then you'll have an era of Reed Hoskins and Odubel Herrera and a bunch of people, Aaron Nola, down the line. But I think you can afford to take your time. Maybe you uh, go back to some of the older guys. I know there's a uh, campaign for Manny Trio for, from some people. So I don't think you'll ever have a shortage of people going in. And you do have the option in some of these years to say, oh, we're going to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the 2019 team and we're not going to induct someone because we already have a show. I don't think they're going to do that because they didn't do it for 2008 when they actually won the World Series, but who knows? Yeah, interesting, too, and if you think back to the last really good Phillies team was the, the 1993 Phillies team, and, of course, the only Wall of Famers from that group are Darren Dalton, John Crook, and Kurt Schilling. So it's, yeah, but it seems like this one's going to be different. They might have too many to put on. Very interesting to see if they just start start going at them right now, or or is is Bobby Abreu the unfortunate one? I mean, uh, there was that gap uh, early on where uh, Mike Lieberthal got on. You know, if if they had this big rush of uh, talent, and if um, Bobby Abreu had been perhaps eligible yet, uh, maybe he would have been in there long ago. And then you got to the point where then you have to let Manuel in after he was let go as manager. I guess they they wanted to get that in there and. But then they started with Pat Burrell and 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 Jim Tomey, and it seems like he might get lost. And uh, shame, 2017 had nobody. So anyway, lots to talk about in the future for all these different topics. Tim, it was good chatting. Alumni weekend, 10,000, 10,000, 2008 World Champion weekend. I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> Or maybe I will. Maybe it's funnier if I don't edit it out. All the stupid things I say, right? Yeah, I'm gonna let it go. All right, we'll we'll let we'll let this go just for fun. Uh, but great talking about all the the events of past weekend with you, and I look forward to catching up with you next week. Thanks a lot, Frank. And thanks as always to Tim Kelly and all those who help make this podcast possible. The people at philliesnation.com, the people at sportstalkphilly.com. We thank you for listening to this episode 50. And we will catch you again this time next week. Don't forget to subscribe. Have a great week.